Well, good morning to all of you at all of our churches. Hey, um, man, it's so good to have you as we're beginning this new year. And uh, before we get started today, uh, I just wanted to give you an update and celebrate the results of the Rise Up and Build campaign for the land that we purchased for our Chipley campus and our Mariana campus and our Bluntstown campus. Now, the total cost of the three pieces of land that we've purchased for each of our campuses was $653,420.45. The Chipley land ended up costing us $543,700. Bluntstown ended up being $59,720.45. We don't want to miss that $0.45 because every every penny matters. If you watch your pennies, your dollars dollars will take care of themselves. Just taught you something financially. Don't miss that. And then... Um, Mariana was $50,000, total of $653,420.45. The total given to Rise Up and Build campaign that we started in April of 2021, because this is what's so incredible about this, is all of this happened this year. We started, we realized we could get the Chipley property about April of this year, and then we ended up adding the Bluntstown property, and then the Mariana property, all those things happened. So the total giving that ended last Sunday was this number right here, $648,353.81. And I'm telling you, all of you at all of our campuses, you absolutely need to celebrate that. That is absolutely amazing when you think about that. Now, here's what makes this even better, this number even better. There are a few people who give every month to our Rise Up and Build Fund. We started the Rise Up and Build Fund in 2004 when we built the multi-purpose building on our Bluntstown campus. And we've always used that for our whenever we were going to move out and do something um, in, in the future, like any kind of expansion, any other campuses, those kind of things. We did it again in 2010 when we did the Mariana campus or really started in 2009. And here's the thing. There are people on our Bluntstown campus, our Mariana campus, our Chipley campus that they started giving a certain amount every month or every quarter to rise up and build. And their thing is, we know we're going to do more campuses. We're going to do more outreach and multi-site, those kind of things. So they just kept giving. Now, what's so incredible about that is those people have continued to do that, which is why we have been able to do so many projects. Like we did a $500,000 renovation of our Chipley campus and launched it without having to come to you for a campaign. We were able to uh, do the uh, merger of the uh, of our Fairhope campus. We were able to help um, Home Church with Gerald Fadanomi. We were able to do the Wakala project, but I'm gonna to talk to you more about that. Um, um, on evening of vision. I'll explain that in just a moment. But because people have continued to give, we have a rise up and build fund that we always use for those kind of projects. Well, there's been some money sitting there as well because we knew that we were going to be doing some other things. So we had some funds in that account. So what we did is we took $5,666.64 from the rise up and build margin. And that ended up being a total of $653,420.45. So it is all paid for. So again, celebrate that. Absolutely celebrate it. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? And I I don't want you to miss this. You at all of our churches, in less than nine months, you gave $648,353.81 above your general offerings and giving. And I just want to say thank you to all of you who invested so generously 
in this process over the last nine months. Because as you know, we went along and we changed it as we went along. We added the Blountstown property and then we changed it again and we added the Mariana property because we didn't know all these things were happening. And, and it's just like, I kept saying, God, are, are you serious? Are you serious? And how's this gonna work? And God just works it out, right? And um, so I just wanna say to all of you, at all of our churches who continually invest in the mission and the vision of this church on a weekly basis, supporting the general fund and then the, the, the whole mission of continuing to put prevailing churches uh, in rural communities and in communities um, that don't have prevailing churches, I just wanna say thank you for allowing God to use you to bless our communities and to really to invest in the next generation. I mean, I, I don't know that all of us understand how much of a miracle this is and how incredible it is that God has just kind of brought all these properties together and made it happen. So on January the 30th, you might wanna write this date down, we're gonna bring all of our campuses together on Mariana for an evening of vision. And we're just gonna spend the evening to get together talking about some of the amazing things that you have allowed God to do through you this past year. Um, and we'll talk even more about what's happening with our Wakulla project and those kind of things and with Gerald and, and some of the other processes, but also what's gonna be happening in our local communities as well. And uh, so you don't wanna miss that. That'll be January the 30th. So write that date down. But once again, can we just give God praise for just being so generous wherever God guides, he provides, right? It's just how it works. Um, wow. Um, been pastoring this church for almost 28 years now, and I, I just am still absolutely amazed at how God just continues to show up. And you know what's really cool about this church is, um, you know, we, we operate debt-free because you're so generous. And, and I talked to other pastors who in this season, and they're just stressed to the max because they're like, how are we gonna make our mortgages? How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna, you know, pay our bills and that kind of stuff because we got all these big mortgage payments. But um, you guys, we do this debt-free process. And man, thank you so much for being a church. That Then we get to use other money for ministry instead of worrying about mortgages. So um, man, thank you. Hey, go ahead and pull out your talk notes and uh, we're gonna get started on a new series that we're beginning today that I'm excited about entitled, um, This Is My Church. You can go to our RCC app and you can take notes there as well. Um, there are notes in your app. Um, and if you're new here, um, a sermon series, when we talk about a sermon series, we're simply gonna take a topic from scripture and we're gonna spend the next four weeks unpacking it. And what happens each week kind of builds on the last week. Now, here's the thing you need to understand as we begin this series. This series is a little bit different than most of the series that we do because we're gonna be talking about the topic of the church. But I promise you that this series is not gonna be an inward focus kind of series because see, whenever we talk about the church, we're talking about something that Jesus loves so much that he died and he rose again for it. And then he commissioned and he gifted his body. And when we talk about his body, we mean all people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. So he then commissioned, before he goes back to heaven, he commissioned us, we call that the great commission. And then he gifted us to be his body in the world. Now you gotta understand the phenomenal thought about that is that you and I literally are the body of Christ. Those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we are the body of Christ in the world today. We represent Jesus. How the world sees Jesus is through us as the body of Christ. 
So whenever we talk about the church, the body of Christ, we're talking about something that matters to Jesus so much. And it absolutely should matter to us. And not only that, should it matter to us, the mission should matter of the church as well. And one of the things that I pray that you take away from this series as we're going through it is that you'll understand that you and I, being the body of Christ, we should love the body of Christ. That means we should love the people of the church. In fact, one of the things you're gonna discover through this series is you can't love God any more than you love the church. Think about that because the church is his body and to say, oh, I don't wanna hang out with all those Christian people, all those people. I don't wanna hang out with all those church people. You know, just, I just don't, can't stand that kind of thing. You're, you're telling Jesus, I don't like your body. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty, confrontive kind of thing to say to Jesus, right? And so my prayer is that you'll begin to understand that the body of Christ, it absolutely matters because the local church, we believe that the local church is absolutely the hope of the world because I'm telling you, the only thing that is going to change our world is for the people to understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and then be filled with his love and his fruit. And his fruit is love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and meekness and self-control. And think about that. If we're living that out in our world, how much it would change the world. So we're gonna spend, as I said, these next few weeks just talking about how do we engage in the body of Christ as Jesus commanded us to and then he commissioned us to do as well. And then we're gonna talk about what does it mean to be a contributor to the mission that God has given the church, including our local church. And then we're gonna get very, very practical in each talk because each week what we're gonna do is we're gonna invite you to take a step that will not only help you become intentional about your part in the body of Christ, but it's gonna make a world of difference in your faith and it's gonna make a world of difference in your relationship with God. And also, as I said, man, I pray it helps you to fall in love with Jesus' body, the church. So to get us started today in our conversation, let me ask you this question. Think about this question. Why did you come here for the first time? Why did you come to this church for the very first time? Now, I'm pretty sure I know um, it wasn't primarily because of our locations, um, even though you may like the location that you're attending today. And it wasn't primarily because of our great leaders, even though we have absolutely extraordinary staff and volunteer leaders. And it most likely wasn't because of our incredible children's environment or our amazing music and band and production teams. I mean, that might've been why you came back, but most likely that wasn't the reason you primarily came the first time. I mean, think back to why you came to this church for the very first time. For most of you, for most of you, it was one reason. Somebody invited you. For most of you, this is why you came to this church, because somebody invited you to come. The truth is, this is why our church has grown, because of the power of an invitation. Now, here's the thing you need to understand about this whole thing of the power of invitation. This isn't a new idea. In fact, the earliest followers of Jesus, this is how they become followers of Jesus. Somebody invited them to follow Jesus. And it's one of the primary reasons that Christianity has spread so rapidly in the early days of the church. It happened by invitation. People are invited to follow Jesus. So if you wonder why we talk so much about inviting people Here's why. Here's why we do that as a church. We got that idea from the early church. 
So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a very interesting story about some of the very first followers of people who chose to follow Jesus. Because in this story, there are some great insights that I think are going to help you understand why you're here, what you're looking for, and what God may be doing in your life without you even realizing it. And then I wanna share a couple helpful insights into how you and I can even get better at sharing our story of how God changed our lives with the people that he's placed around us every day in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go with me to John chapter one, John chapter one. Now, just a little bit of background. John was one of Jesus' closest disciples, but he begins his account of Jesus' life by um, explaining what happened before he became a follower of Jesus. In fact, John actually starts his gospel or his account of Jesus' life with another guy that you might know or have heard of called John the Baptist, or maybe even a better name would be called John the Baptizer. Now, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, you gotta understand this, this is pretty powerful when you think about it. John the Baptist was the first prophet that God had sent to the nation of Israel in over 400 years. I mean, there was just 400 years of silence where God did not speak. And so John the Baptist is the first prophet that shows up in over 400 years. So John has quite a following at this point. And one day, as he's teaching and he's baptizing by the Jordan River, Jesus walks by, and here's what happens next. John chapter one, beginning in verse 29. says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, to the Jewish crowd there with John that day, this statement, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it immediately got their attention. Because see, they had lived their entire lives practicing Judaism. And Judaism was the practice of where they would take a lamb each year and a sacrifice to the temple and they would offer it on the altar as a way to cover over their sin. Not take away their sin, but cover over their sin. So the moment that John uses this new terminology, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, I mean, it's like all of their heads turn because they realize what he's saying. They realize that he's saying, hey, there's the Messiah. There's the one that we've been waiting on to come and permanently take away our sin, not just cover over our sin. So John the Baptist or John the baptizer, he puts this spotlight on Jesus and he says, hey, you really need to pay attention to this guy. He's the one. And then John, he doesn't just stop there. He tells us what happens the next day. Here's what happens next. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Now keep this in mind. At this point, as we said, John the Baptist had several disciples or he had several followers and Jesus had none because he had raised quite a following because he's like the first prophet. So the followers of, of John, is they're just standing there. You gotta keep this in mind. John is with all these people who are following him and then he says he was with two of his disciples. Now, in just a minute, we're gonna see that these two disciples, they were named Andrew and Philip. And that's very important, Andrew and Philip. And they had heard John say the day before what John has said about Jesus. 
And John the Baptist wants to make sure they don't miss what he was saying about Jesus. So as Jesus passes by again this following day, he points Jesus out again and notice what he says. He basically says the same thing in verse 35. He says, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So now what has happened is, is John has two less disciples, but Jesus now has his first two disciples. So these guys, they're paying attention. So when John points out who Jesus is, they decide, okay, we need to investigate this for ourselves. And so guess what they do? They start following Jesus down the road. And this happens in verse 38. Notice this, this is interesting. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, if somebody randomly started following you down the sidewalk and then wanted to know where you live, what are you going to do? You're going to run or call 911, right? I mean, that's just a little creepy. But that's what these guys do. But you got to understand something. In the first century, this was a whole lot more acceptable because what they're basically saying is, hey, Jesus, we know that you're a rabbi. We know that you're a teacher. And we would just like to come and learn from you what you know. That was kind of a common practice in that day. But it's what Jesus does next that I really want you to notice. Notice this in verse 39. Come, he replied, and you will see. Now, what is interesting about this statement that Jesus makes right here is this, is Jesus didn't respond with information. No, Jesus responded with an invitation. He says, come and you will see. He didn't say, let, let me just explain things to you. He says, no, why don't you just tag along and see for yourself? Just come and see. And then John tells us that Andrew and Philip, they took him up on this. So I want you to notice the next part of this verse. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they noticed this next, because this is so key. They spent that day with him. Now here's what's interesting about that day. If they had spent that day with Jesus and it was a bad day, it was a bad experience, we would have never heard about it. Nobody would have ever recorded for us. In fact, Philip and Andrew wouldn't have kept following Jesus. They would have quit following Jesus. But apparently, they had this incredible experience because of what they do next is what all of us do when we have an incredible experience. Look at this in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John has said and had, who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So get this, Andrew, he spends a day with Jesus and what he experiences is so remarkable that notice this, the very first thing Andrew did was to go to his brother Peter and say, hey, you've gotta meet this guy. I think he's the Messiah. And you can imagine if you know anything about Peter, I'm sure Peter pushed back and goes, well, how do you know that? And it's like, he's going, well, I can't explain it, Peter, but I just can't give you enough information, Peter, but just come and see for yourself. And after you experience him, then you can decide what you think. But Peter, I really think he's the one. 
So Andrew, he brings Peter to Jesus. Now here's what's also interesting about this. Not only does Andrew do this, but Philip does the same thing as well. Notice this in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. So what does this mean? Well, it just means all these guys are from the same town. So when Jesus is getting ready to go on a 50, get this, a 50 to 60 mile trip, where basically he's gonna be walking, he says, Philip, I want you to go with me. Now you gotta remember, Philip has spent a day with Jesus already, and so he's sold on who Jesus is. And just like Andrew, he can't explain it, but he is pretty confident that Jesus is who John the Baptist said that he was, that he was the Messiah. So Philip does the exact same thing that Andrew did the day before. Notice this in verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip is literally saying to Nathaniel, he says, listen, the one that we've been waiting for, the one that our ancestors have been waiting for, I mean, he's finally here. We have found the Messiah and his name is Jesus. Now I want you to notice the honesty in Nathaniel's response in verse 46. Here's what he says. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. So Nathaniel is basically saying, I'm just not buying that. I mean, Nazareth is like this rundown, dying kind of town. No Messiah is coming from Nazareth. I mean, you're just crazy, Philip. You, you didn't find the Messiah. You found some lunatic probably. Now, here's what I want to say. Before we're too hard on Nathaniel, imagine that one of your friends would come to you and say, hey, we found God in this little town. It's a dying town. Nothing going on there really, but we found God there. Don't you think you'd be a little skeptical too? I mean, I think we all would, right? So at this point, Philip has a choice. And he says, well, do I explain? I'm sure he's thinking to himself, do I explain to Nathaniel all the reasons why I believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Or do I just ask him to check it out and find out for himself? Do, do I give him all the information that I can? Um, because after all, I spent this day with him, it was an incredible day, it was absolutely amazing. Or do I just extend an invitation? And Philip decides to do the same thing that Andrew did with Peter. And Jesus did with Andrew and Philip. Look at this. He says, come and see, come and see. Literally, I can't convince you about Jesus with an explanation. I can't even explain it. So just come and see for yourself, Nathaniel. Come and experience Jesus, and then you decide. And here's the good news. Nathaniel did. And, and Nathaniel went, and, and I, I'm sure he went not expecting to be convinced, and, and I, I'm sure he went with all his skepticism and all his cynicism fully intact. And, and you can go home and you can read the rest of the story for yourself. But here's the thing. What he experienced when he met Jesus, it was so undeniable that he believed and started following Jesus too. Now here's the thing, this isn't unusual because anytime you have an extraordinary experience, whatever kind of that experience it might be, you can't help but tell other people, can you? I mean, think about it. But let me just kind of give you a couple examples. How many of you, have ever been to this place right here. 
Some of you went there this year. Some of you go multiple times a year. And I guarantee you, because I've heard you, you came back telling people about your experience and you're wondering why the rest of us don't go five or six times a year, right? Now, here's the thing. If you've never been, you hear people talking about and you think, what's the big deal? And who wants to deal with all those people and who wants to stand in line? And I mean, it's just way too expensive. Like why in the world would you do that? But everybody who loves it would say, man, you just don't get it because you haven't experienced it. Or, or how about this? How many of you have ever been to a vacation place like this? So I spent seven of the best days of my life in this little cabin right here this year. This is a dive and a snorkel resort in Honduras. And everybody's saying, I thought you weren't supposed to travel because of COVID. I'm a rule breaker. All right, so anyhow, so bottom line is, seven of the best days of my life there. Now, I spent seven other of my best days about 10 miles on another island uh, just over there a couple, some years ago. So it's just like, here's the deal. Here's what I know. Everybody who has gone to one of these little resorts to dive and snorkel, I can promise you, they love it. In fact, I met people who were on this trip that go there every year. I mean, here's what I know. People who went on this trip, when they came back, and they started telling other people about their experience. Because here's why. We can't help but share good or fun experiences with other people, Right? And it's just, this is the way it works. When you have a great experience, I mean, he's like, oh my goodness, you should go, you should go, you should go. All right. How many of you have ever been here? <laughs> Let me just go ahead and tell you something. If you've never been to Spears Cafe, I can't convince you it's worth the time to go to this small hole in the wall restaurant just to eat. But if you've eaten there before, you know. In fact, on Friday, my son and I, we had burgers and fries there and we had gizzards. We had a side of fried gizzards. Now, you may like them or not, but he and I do, right? I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite places to eat. If you don't believe me, I signed my name on the wall and said it, right? <laughs> I can't explain it. But all I can tell you is you just have to jump in the car and go with me to experience Spears, right? And I warned Spears, that, okay, everybody from Chipley and Blountstown and Marianne are gonna be coming to this cafe, so he better be ready. So, um, how many of you have ever had one of these? Listen, if you ever want people to know that you love and appreciate them, this just speaks volumes to them. Hint, hint, love your pastors, right? Right. So, so here's the deal. Have you ever had one of these? I mean, really? I mean, like, listen, here's what I'm telling you. This picture doesn't do it justice. You, you just have to, Smell one. You just have to smell one and you just have to like, mm, I'm telling you. That, that just melts in your mouth. Now, th there's no way to explain how good this is. You just have to experience it. Now, I do have some extra up here, but I'm not going to give them to you right now because we have another service, right? Bottom line is, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Everybody need to eat one of these things at some point in time. Now, I know what you're, some of you are thinking because you've been around RCC for a while. That when you leave today, we're going to give away donuts. No, we're not. 
you need to take a friend with you or a family member and go get you some fresh ones and have the experience together, right? So here's my point. That was good. I'm gonna have a hard time leaving that alone through the rest of this talk, but bottom line. So here's the whole point of all these experience things. This is how people begin to follow Jesus. And this is how the church grew so fast in the early days. And this is why the church, this is why our church and other churches keep growing. In fact, you could summarize it this way. The goal isn't to explain something, but to experience someone. See, the goal is not to give enough information that we build this compelling case for people to believe in Jesus. The goal is to extend an invitation so they can experience Jesus for themselves. Excuse me just a second. Man, that donut was good. Anyhow, so, so here's the thing. <clears throat> a donut's good. Jesus is better. When people really experience the transforming power of Jesus in their life, and all of a sudden they're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and meekness and self-control, and they have his presence and there's power and his power in his life every day, it absolutely begins to change their life. And so the early followers of Jesus and churches that understand how to reach the world for Jesus Christ, they understand this, that Jesus needs to be experienced, not just explained. Because listen, I don't care how much theology you can explain, and I don't care if you have the answers for all the questions that somebody might have. But here's what I know. Adults don't become followers of Jesus just because they got all their questions answered. They become followers of Jesus because they experience Jesus up close and personally for themselves. He became personal to them. Now, that's how it's always been. And it's why, as I said, we've grown over the years and why we've seen so many people's lives change. Because listen, we as a church, we can't change people's lives. Only the power of the Spirit of God indwelling a person's life can change a person's life. We can lead them on a journey. We can lead them into a growing relationship with Jesus. But it's when they experience Jesus up close and personal, that's when their lives change. Because here's the thing. Many of you, you've thought, man, I want my friends to experience Jesus. I want their lives to change. In fact, many of you kind of looked at your friends and you go, hey, um, I, I really would love, I would love for you to experience what I've experienced. I know you don't think you like the church and I know you're not sure about Jesus and, and, and I, I hear that, I understand, but man, I, I can't explain what Jesus has done in my life, but just come see, just come with me one time and just begin to experience Jesus. And here's what has happened over the years at this church. People have invited people, and those people have invited people who've invited people, and that's how most of you got here today, if you really stop and think about it. You were invited by a person who was invited by a person, and you are so grateful that that person did invite you to come and see and experience Jesus. And maybe you did come back because of the music or because of the awesome children's environments or because your teenager, your student, got involved in student ministry and loved it. But here's the thing. You're still here because you eventually experienced Jesus for yourself. Bottom line. In fact, we say it this way all the time around here. The difference between a growing church and a dying church is one word. It's the word invite. So here's my challenge for you um, for this new year. 
It's all about inviting people to experience Jesus. And here's the thing I want to tell all of you because most all of you have been invited by someone and that's why you're here. It's your turn to pay it forward. It's your turn to do the same or to extend the same kind of invitation to someone who is right where you were at at some point in your life. And they're not really sure about church. And so therefore they're hesitant about faith and Jesus. And they've got a, re a thousand reasons for why they shouldn't be involved with Jesus or the church. But here's the thing. Your job isn't to answer all their questions. Your job is just to say, hey, come and see. I, I can't explain it, but just come and experience it for yourself. Just come experience Jesus because it's life changing. It's transforming. Now, here's the thing I do know. I know how hard it is for most people to invite people. Not, not because we don't want to, because we desperately want to invite people, but because it can be intimidating because you're afraid that you'll offend someone or you're afraid that they might say no. But here's the thing. Because of that, we're never sure really kind of what to say. So let me just kind of make it a little bit easier for you. Let me give you three cues, and you probably want to write these down. Three cues that let you know it's a great time to invite someone to come with you to church in order to experience Jesus. Here are the three cues. They are trouble, tension, and transition. Whenever you talk to people... And they're going through one of these three things, trouble, tension, and transition. You automatically know, hey, this is a great time to invite. Because these people in these seasons of life are most, most often to God speaking into their lives. So let me just kind of unpack these three for you. The first one is trouble. So you're talking to someone and they say, man, I am having a hard time at work or we're just having all kinds of problems with our kids or I'm really struggling at school or my marriage is not going so well. That, that's when it's a great time for you just to step up and say, listen, I've been there. I've experienced that kind of trouble in my life. And my relationship with Jesus Christ and the church, it has helped me through that. And so you should just come sit with me at church. And, and they may say no. But you'll be surprised how many people will say yes at some point in time. And they may even ask you in that conversation how a relationship with Jesus helped you. And then you get to explain what you've experienced God do in your life. But here's the thing. Take the opportunity to invite. Take the opportunity to invite. So trouble is the first one. Tension is the second one. Well, this is when you hear somebody say, well, I'm really worried about my grades or I'm really worried about my job or I'm just really stressed with my finances or I got this situation I'm dealing with and I just don't know what to do. That Those are cues for you to say, hey, you, you should just come sit with me at church because what I've learned from the words of Jesus that they teach at our church, it's really helped me deal with my stress and my anxiety and my worry a lot. And, and then the third cue is this one, transition. So anytime people are starting like a new stage or a season of life, they're often open to an invitation to experience Jesus, to, to explore relationship with Jesus. Like when someone just says, hey, we just had a baby. Those of you who've had babies, you know that's an incredible transition. Or I just got married. That's another incredible transition. Or we just moved to the area or I just started college. Like they're facing some kind of new situation and circumstance that they don't feel prepared to handle. So all you need to say is, hey, why don't you come with me to church and, and let's just see, let you experience what maybe Jesus can do in your life and what having the support of other people in the body of Christ can do for you. So those are the three areas that just kind of clue you in to, hey, this is a great opportunity just to say, come and see, come and experience Jesus. 
So here's my question to you as we begin this year. Who do you need to invite to come and see? Who do you need to invite? Who's on your list? Who do you need to invite to come experience Jesus for themselves? Because I'm telling you folks, our world is not going to be changed other than through people having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's what I know. God has put people in your life. And as we begin this year, I just wanna challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit to make you more aware and let him use you this year to bring people to Jesus Christ. So remember, pay attention, pay much more careful attention as we go into this year to the conversations so that you see the opportunities that you have to invite. Because I'm telling you, an invitation will be life-changing for some people. And for many people, it will have eternal implications. And that is huge when you stop and think about it. But it starts with you asking with the power of a simple invitation. Hey, just come sit with me, come and see. Now, I'm just gonna tell you, the reason this is so important because we all know people who we know that we would love for them to know God more. They, we'd love for them to have a relationship with God or they would even love to know God more. They'd love to have a relationship with him, but they're just not sure how. And they ask you questions. And those are people who are open to exploring. Even, they, they, even though they may not choose to follow Jesus right away, listen, they all deserve the same invitation that you and I had the opportunity that was extended to us to come and see and experience Jesus for ourselves. So as a church, man, our work is just getting started for this year. But it's gonna take every one of us extending an invitation to people to say, come and see for yourself. And here's what I know. Whenever you bring somebody with you this year for the very first time, you're gonna see things differently because you're gonna be counting on our guest services to be friendly and welcoming. You're gonna stand in the lobbies and you're gonna tell guest services, hey, I'm looking for this person. Make sure you welcome them, make sure. And you're gonna want our children's ministry team, you're gonna want them to be on their A game and you're gonna want their music to be awesome and you're gonna want no distractions and you're gonna send me a text or email or pull me aside and say, hey, my friend's gonna be here today. Don't you blow it today. <laughs> and that's how it works almost every Sunday. I get a text, an email, somebody will call me saying, hey, listen, my friend's gonna be here this Sunday. Don't blow it. This better be your best one yet. Listen, here's the thing. When you invite a friend, when you invite someone, you are aware of how important every piece is of this church and every part of this church because you see this place through a completely different set of lines, a set of eyes. And I promise you this, when you leave, after that friend is attended, you're gonna be nervous because you're gonna to wanna to hear what they have to say. And then when they tell you that they loved it, you can get this big smile on my face and you're gonna think, yep, that's my church. And I love it too. I'm glad you loved it. Listen, bringing a friend, investing in the lives of other people, it changes everything about how you view church because all of a sudden you don't view it as a consumer anymore. You view it as a person who is about seeing the eternal destiny and the eternal lives or people's eternities change. So here's my challenge to you this week. Begin the process, because many of us have got distracted over the last few years from this whole process of just inviting somebody this week and begin to invest in relationships around you at work. Love people, encourage them. And then when the time is right, let the Holy Spirit prompt you to go, oh, this would be a great time to invite them to come see and experience Jesus for themselves. Because I'm telling you folks, Jesus needs to be experienced, not just explained. 
And see, too many times we turn people off from the gospel of Jesus because we try to spend too much time explaining Jesus. But Jesus needs to be experienced, not just explained. And you can help make that possible. I mean, after all, if you really stop and think about it, the mission that Jesus commands us, and that is to love one another as he loved us, he laid his lives down for us. And then he commissioned us in Matthew 28. We call that the great commission. That's what he calls us as a church to do. He says, I want you to live out this great command, love people enough that you will invite them. In fact, one of the things that, that we find in the book of Acts, at the beginning of the book of Acts, whenever Jesus is talking right before he goes back to heaven, he looks at his disciples and he said this. He said, I promise you this, I'm gonna leave you. But when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you, this is what he says, you will be my witnesses. And one of the greatest evidences, if you wanna kinda of know if you're living a spirit-filled life this year, is the, the number one evidence of the filling of the Spirit of God in your life is that you desire to be a witness. You desire for other people to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. The second, number one, the second evidence of the filling of the Spirit in your life is that you are living out all the fruit of the Spirit in every situation and every circumstance, that you're allowing the Spirit of God to control you. And so I, I just pray this year that we will go forward as a Spirit-filled church and that we come before the Holy Spirit in our daily prayer lives and we say, Spirit, fill me up so that my passion for people is as great as your passion for people, that their eternal destinies will be changed, but not only that, their life here and now will be better because life is better with Jesus here and now. So we have a commission to live out. We have a command to follow. So who do you need to invite? Who is that person that's around you that Jesus is placing on your heart. And this week, I want to, or this year, I wanna challenge you every week, just saying, God, help me to find that opportunity to just help people say, well, just come and see, just come and see. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity. We, we get the opportunity to say, this is my church because of your love for us. And I just pray that you will fill us as a church with so great a passion that um, that we just won't spend our lives telling everybody about all these other great experiences that we had at resorts or restaurants or with certain kinds of food, those kind of things, while that will be part of our conversation. May that not be the priority of our hearts and our minds, but may there be that moment in time when your Holy Spirit throughout this year just prompts us and says, okay, just invite them to come and see. Remind us throughout this year that Jesus needs to be experience, not just explain. And may we always be on the lookout for who we can just say, hey, come and see so that they can hear the gospel and so their lives can be transformed as well. God, here's what I know. You have not blessed us. You have not resources as a church for us just to sit and get comfortable, but you have blessed us in order to challenge us to continue to reach our communities for Jesus Christ. And may that be the passion of our heart as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey everyone, thank you so much for being with us. Let me just tell you, next Sunday, we're starting our sign up for groups, but if you're one of these people like to be ahead of the game, this week it's gonna start being put on digital, so you can go on our website or our app, and you can start finding groups if you want to. So maybe start Monday or Tuesday, you start looking at our website or app to find your small group, but next week, we will have brochures in your worship guide. Have a great week. This whole world just out